Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 19.1 Legacy of Death and Brutality Welcome back to 21, everybody. Last time we introduced the 19th wonder of the ancient world, the Flavian Amphitheater, or, as it's more commonly known as, the Colosseum of Rome. One of Rome's greatest architectural achievements, right in its own backyard. For everything the Romans built, from their aqueducts to their roads, to their bridges, to their forums, etc., the Romans almost knew that they were building a legacy not just from their swords, but from their stone. Little did they know that they would become the foundation for the entirety of Western civilization. As magnificent as the Colosseum is, however, it has a complicated history and legacy. It became a focus of the empire, which, though not entirely at fault, the Colosseum helped bring down one of the greatest empires that the world had ever seen. But before we get too far into the legacy of the Colosseum, we first need to look at its history. From the moment of its completion, the Colosseum became the center of attention in the city of Rome. Which honestly makes sense. I mean, how many different sports arenas, stadiums, and fields are there in major cities around the world today? We love to be entertained. We always have been as a species. I mean, we even have unlimited entertainment in the palm of our hands nowadays. And in the ancient times, by contrast, there wasn't much by the way of entertainment. In Rome, the only other form of entertainment would have been the Circus Maximus and the chariot races there, or simple street entertainers performing magic, illusions, or showing off some exotic pet or art. So there would naturally be a big turnout for the Colosseum when it first opened. Part of the attraction for the Colosseum was that it was a participatory act for the crowds as well. Much like NFL football games or European football games are to fans today. The fans were quite possibly the most important part of the entire spectacle. After one gladiator got the better of the other, it was up to the crowd, or the emperor, or both, to decide if the defeated man were to live or die. If the fight did not end with the outright victory of one of the men, the fight would then be decided by the man who was known as the editor. If one of the combatants was too tired to continue, or too wounded, he could appeal to the editor to stop combat. Once combat was stopped, the editor would choose whether the man lived or died, by a turned thumb. We don't know exactly what this means. More often than not, we think it means a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but we don't know for certain. Either way, the gladiators were bound by oath to support the decision of the editor. If it meant death, it meant death. If it meant losing a limb, it meant losing a limb. So on and so forth. Before we move on any further, though, I do want to say something about the people of Rome. While yes, they cheered on death, violence, and bloodshed, 
we can't say that we today would have behaved any differently. Too often we view people in the past and the horrible things that they have done and we say, well, I would never have done that, or I would never have participated in something like that. But in contrast, we all would have flocked to the Colosseum, had we lived in Rome at the time. Life back then was much more challenging, difficult, and filled with death than life today is here in the West. We are so far removed from the harshness of death, and we are so comfortable that we forget that these people dealt with death on a much more frequent and violent basis. To them, death and violence were natural, just a part of daily life. And had we grown up in that society, we would have thought the same way. Alright, back to the Colosseum. The Colosseum was officially opened in 80 AD under the Roman Emperor Titus. To celebrate the opening of this great arena, he hosted 100 days of games. This pretty much was a 100-day party, with food, drinks, prizes, but most importantly, the games themselves. The games were an enormous PR stunt. They were to show the people of Rome how much the emperor cared for them and wanted them to be happy. At least, that was the intended meaning. As if the 100-day party wasn't enough to convince the people of Rome, every day in between the slaughter, workers would throw wooden balls into the crowds at the Colosseum, much like a t-shirt toss or a hot dog toss at a game today. On these wooden balls was a prize that was inscribed on it that the recipient could claim. Prizes ranged from bread and wine all the way up to slaves and even articles of clothing, gold, or household objects. While we don't know much about the gladiatorial fights during these hundred days of games, the ones we do know about were pretty spectacular. We know that there were fights amongst animals, including war elephants and even cranes. There were several water battles, including one on horseback and the other on actual scaled-down naval vessels after the arena floor was flooded. But one of the most memorable days was when at least 5,000 animals were killed by a group of female gladiators. I honestly struggled to think about the logistics of pulling off a 100-day party, never mind bringing in the exotic animals like elephants. How Emperor Titus actually pulled this off, we will never know. But what he had started was something that would come not to captivate just the city of Rome, but the empire as a whole. After Titus, the Colosseum was used to house all kinds of events. And, similarly to today, events were put on by the private citizens of Rome. Just like how private citizens own the sports teams of today, it wasn't the state or the government who was in charge of putting these elaborate games on. While yes, some emperors put on events and games and even participated sometimes, they were not the only ones to do so. Anyone vying for a public office like a seat in the Senate would have been wise to host something in the arena. And even if the emperors were not the ones hosting the games, they were usually in attendance, even if they had no desire to be there. But it was good for PR. However, some emperors' reactions to the games varied wildly. 
Some heckled the crowds and shouted at the gladiators from the imperial box, like Titus and Claudius. Others, like Marcus Aurelius, almost hated the gladiatorial games and had no desire to be there or put them on. It's ironic, then, that his son Commodus would be one of the only emperors to participate in gladiatorial combat. But I digress. While the gladiatorial fights were the most infamous and most common events in the arena, they were not the only things to be shown in the Colosseum. These other shows were called Muerna, and included things like dramatic readings of literature, plays, religious sacrifices, and, one of the local favorites, beast hunts. The floor of the Colosseum would be altered with trees, bushes, and other geographical features to make it as realistic as possible, quite literally setting the stage. And there were a wide variety of animals that were hunted there. There were rhinoceros, hippopotamus, elephants, giraffes, oryx, which were a type of European cattle, witsense, otherwise known as European bison, Barbary lions, panthers, leopards, bears, tigers, crocodiles, ostrich, and many more. These hunts were a way for people to see some of the most exotic animals from the fringes of the empire without having to make the travels. It's a shame that they didn't just put them in a zoo, but that would not have been Roman. Another thing which would not have been Roman to do would to put on these games half-heartedly, especially if it was the emperor who was hosting. They would go all out with their games. Emperor Trajan is famous for after his conquest of Dacia in 107 AD, which we talked about all the way back in episode 4.1 and 4.2. He celebrated his victory with contests, games, and hunts, which lasted for about 123 days and included more than 11,000 animals and 10,000 gladiators. This is honestly mind-boggling to think of. To add to the sheer carnage, during intervals there would be executions in the arena. And not just any executions. These were called bestias, which was a form of execution by maul of wild animal. The guilty, or sometimes not guilty, party was put into the arena, and then usually wild cats like lions or tigers would be released. The animals would then maul the person, much to the delight of the crowd. How many of these executions took place during Emperor Trajan's games, there's no way to know. But it had to be a cataclysmic amount. Shortly after Trajan's games, the Colosseum would be hosting the execution of Christians and would be a common place for further persecution of Christians. As Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, the emperors hated them because they would not worship the Roman emperors or the Roman gods. They claimed to worship one god, and it wasn't the emperor, so that was bad a number of emperors began persecuting the Christians. The first documented case that we have of a Christian being executed in the arena occurred in 110 AD, and St. Ignatius of Antioch being the unfortunate victim. The Colosseum would continue to host games, executions, the persecution of Christians, hunts, etc. for the next 70 years without much changing. 
But then, in one fell swoop, everything changed. The Emperor would put himself on the arena floor, and at the mercy of the crowds. That Emperor was Commodus. Now I won't go too far into Commodus' story here. There's not nearly enough time for that. That could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But if you want to learn more about Commodus and his incredible story, I recommend, if you haven't seen it already, to watch the movie Gladiator. But for our purposes here, I will just give the highlights of his life. Marcus Aurelius was the father of Commodus, and is known to history as the last of the five good emperors. These emperors expanded Rome to its maximum size, and brought about the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. This was one of the longest peacetimes in the entirety of Roman history. Rome prospered, was wealthy, safe, and strong. But all that changed with the changing of the emperor. Perhaps nothing in history symbolizes how quickly you can go from success to failure than the father and son combo of Marcus Aurelius and Commodus. Rome would see peace and prosperity replaced by chaos. When Marcus Aurelius died in March of 180 AD, Commodus inherited the empire. Commodus has been labeled as many things throughout history, and none of them good. He was a megalomaniac, a severe narcissist, corrupt, debauched, and saw himself as the reincarnation of the Greek god Hercules. In an attempt to prove this to himself and the Empire, Commodus put himself in the arena to fight other gladiators. Now, naturally, before each fight, the men or beasts he would fight would be wounded, their swords dulled, or something to make it almost impossible for the Emperor to lose. I mean, you can't have the Emperor losing in gladiatorial combat. Commodus became so obsessed with his gladiatorial combat that he left the Empire in the hands of others to pursue this fantasy. He put statues of himself wearing a lion's head all around the city. This was how the Greek god Hercules was portrayed in Greek mythology, and Commodus was trying really hard to portray himself as the reincarnation of Hercules. However, it didn't take long for the people around him to realize that Commodus had pushed things too far. On New Year's Day in 193 AD, Commodus decided to fight in the arena to celebrate the city's rebirth. But after failing to talk him out of his ridiculous plan, his mistress, his new chamberlain, and the captain of the Praetorian Guard, the personal guard of the emperor, decided that enough was enough. They tried to poison Commodus, but the poison wasn't effective. So his fitness coach, Narcissus, strangled the emperor to death. As horrible as an emperor as Commodus was, his sudden death threw the empire back into the throes of civil war, as there was no apparent heir to the throne, and each man wanted the power of the imperial throne. Despite the turmoil, bloodshed, and carnage in the city, the Colosseum continued to be one of the most popular places throughout the 3rd and 4th centuries. In fact, the desire for entertainment amongst the populace grew and grew, 
and it eventually became the government's best way to get money from the public. The public became so obsessed with games that sometimes they would forget about their daily lives and only want to watch the games. The frequency of games varied, as did the particular events that happened there. A day in the Colosseum in the 3rd century might have looked something like this. In the morning, there were what were called fantasy duels. These were usually fought between women, dwarves, or the disabled using wooden weapons. These were typically viewed as people who were not fit to be gladiators. After that, the blood sports would begin, as various classes of gladiators would fight. They fought with weapons such as swords, lances, tridents, and nets, and could also involve some accomplished female gladiators. Next came the animal hunts with the bestiari, the professional beast killers. These men were expert hunters. These animals, though, had no chance in these contests, and were most often killed at a distance using spears or arrows. There were dangerous animals which were hunted too, like lions, tigers, bears, elephants, leopards, hippopotamus, and bulls. But there were also events with defenseless animals, such as deer, ostrich, giraffes, and even whales. That would have been interesting to see how they got the whales to the Colosseum, then flooded it with salt water and put the whale inside. That would have actually been truly interesting to see. Hundreds, sometimes even thousands of animals were butchered in a single day's events. And often, brutality was deliberate in order to achieve what was called crudeliter, the correct amount of cruelty. And in between all of these, during the intervals, there were more traditional executions. The executions of Christians became a particular favorite, and the Christians were executed in a number of ways. They were shot with arrows, burned alive, crucified, hunted by wild animals, boiled alive, and pretty much any other horrible way to die that you can think of, the Romans probably did it to the Christians. The Colosseum was the most popular spot on earth since the Temple of Artemis a few centuries earlier. Millions of people from across the Roman Empire came to watch the games. But Rome was fading. Its power, wealth, and prestige it once held were quickly deteriorating. There was no longer the money needed to spend on elaborate games. The empire was also split, causing more change to the Roman Empire. In 404 AD, the Emperor Honorius abolished the games entirely. The only exception was condemned criminals who were to receive the death penalty would fight wild animals. This continued on for about another century or so, into the early parts of the 6th century. But its place as the center of Roman culture was gone. As the empire began to collapse, the Colosseum actually fared decently compared to most of the other imperial buildings. This is evidenced by the fact that the Colosseum is still standing today and remains a popular tourist attraction. But this does not mean that it did not go through some tough and damaging times. It would be damaged by an earthquake in 422 AD, and this would not be the last. It would be repaired by multiple emperors, 
with more repairs coming in 467, 472, and 507 AD. The Colosseum was even still used for wrestling matches and animal hunts until the end of the 6th century AD. These events even occurred after the city was captured by the Vandals. They were not interested in the upkeep of the building, though, and the Colosseum quickly began to fall into a state of disrepair. I'm just grateful the Vandals didn't dismantle it or burn it down. I'm not sure how they would have done that, but I would assume they at least tried or thought about it. Grass began to grow on the arena floor, something that would have been impossible in the previous centuries. But the Colosseum would remain there in Rome as a reminder of the grandeur of times past. But the impressiveness of the Colosseum would not be forgotten forever. Despite the continual changing of hands between barbarian, Byzantine, Islam, and Catholic hands, the Colosseum remained standing. In the 12th century AD, it was actually used as a fortress for different warring families. That all changed in 1231, though. The Great Earthquake of 1231 rocked the city of Rome and caused the southwest facade of the Colosseum to collapse. After this, the Colosseum was used for its material. It was actually commissioned as a quarry by Pope Alexander VI. And despite all of this, the Colosseum was still used for the occasional royal procession, or even play. The Colosseum, despite all the turmoil it went through, was still a popular place to host entertainment during and through the 15th century. During the Renaissance, there would be a renewed interest in the ancient world. With this renewed interest, in 1744, Pope Benedict XIV forbade the removal of any more materials from the Colosseum. He then consecrated it in the memory of all the Christians who were martyred there. However, there were locals who used the vast underground chamber and passageways as stables. There were all kinds of greenery growing in and around it. But it wasn't until the 19th century that the Colosseum finally began to see better times. After centuries of neglect, abuse, and being stripped of its stone, it was finally going to be restored. At least, somewhat. Perhaps the most important restoration work was in 1871, when an Italian archaeologist named Pietro Rosa removed all the non-Roman additions to the Colosseum. This showed that, despite being more than 1,500 years old, the Colosseum was still a magnificent structure. But there would be one more scary time to come. During World War II, the Colosseum would be damaged by bombardment during the Allied campaign in Italy. But fortunately, the damage wasn't too severe, and the Colosseum would be able to be repaired and restored once again. Today, the Colosseum is one of the most popular tourist sites in the world. It's up there with the likes of the Great Wall, Abu Simbel, and the Great Pyramids as the most visited ancient structure in the world. I personally can't wait to visit it someday, along with all the other wonders on this list. But I think I might feel differently about viewing the Colosseum than your average tourist. I am aware 
of the sheer carnage that took place within its walls. It's possible that the ground of the Colosseum is the single bloodiest patch of earth on the planet. There have been some horrific battles throughout history, where tens of thousands of men were killed in a few days or even hours. Battles like the Battle of Cannae, Gettysburg, and the Somme saw human death on an unprecedented scale. But here, at the Colosseum, the death lasted for centuries. So while the Colosseum deserves its spot on this list, and is undoubtedly awe-inspiring, beautiful, and majestic, it's haunted by the millions of men, women, and animals who were sacrificed within its walls for entertainment. Next week, we will move on to the 20th wonder on our list. I can't believe we only have two more to go. This wonder is the final of the seven original wonders of the ancient world. It is the only one on mainland Greece. And this wonder, while not the biggest, is like Solomon's temple to Jehovah at Jerusalem. It was built using a unique material. The material was so unique that it's the only statue in the world that we know of that required chemistry to build it. <laughs>